0: My message this morning is entitled, Answering the Call. And it, uh, scripturally, I guess it kind of keys in on a bit of the Palm Sunday story, but actually more so what happens right after Jesus' triumphant entry, after this big worship service. And uh, I'm going to give you a bunch of context first, but just in case you need to already turn uh, in your Bibles to these chapters, we'll be reading from Mark 11 and Luke 19. But first, lots of context. I really love context, historical context. So you can really understand what's going on. So why was there this big party when Jesus came in Jerusalem? Why were they so excited to see him? Well, it's because they saw him as the Messiah. And that's this long-awaited hero that the scriptures in the, in the Old Testament they had foretold. And specifically, this, this Messiah was going to bring a kingdom that would never end. And many believe this Messiah would, would usher in this new era of peace and prosperity The word Messiah means anointed one. Kings were people that were anointed. They would pour oil over the head to signify that they'd been chosen by God. So they're they're looking for this king to come, to bring a kingdom that will never end. And then so people were just lining the streets when Jesus came because they had seen the many miracles that he had done. They had heard his messages. And they believed, you know, he was the one. He was the one that was going to come save the day. And so they're shouting Hosanna as he's coming in. So Hosanna actually... literally translates to, I beg you to save, or please deliver us. It'd, It'd be like us saying, save us, save us, as someone was coming down the streets. It's kind of like having a big SOS symbol. Oh, save our souls. That's what Hosanna means. And it's actually this excited and desperate call for salvation at the same time. It's like if you're on a deserted island, you've been there a while, it's a dire situation, you're in some trouble, but then a helicopter starts coming towards you. So you, you would have this jubilation and this despair at the same time. Despair over your circumstance, but a jubilation at incoming rescue. So it's simultaneous, and that's what Hosanna is. So it's a recognition of your situation, but a recognition of your salvation that's coming in. So th- this crowd that's calling on Jesus and saying Hosanna, at one, at one point there, They're recognizing their need for saving, but also recognizing his ability to to save. So what did they want saving from? Well, many had hoped this Messiah figure was going to be someone that would bring a political salvation, that would change things politically. But of course, Jesus came in a way that was far above that, and he came literally to save our souls in an eternal sense and to bring a salvation far beyond imagination. But people were kind of very much so looking at the here and now especially at Jesus' time they were looking to get rid of the Romans they wanted to go back to the days of old like when King David was in charge and King Solomon where Israel was this very blessed nation and you you can't really blame them for being that short-sighted and not seeing God's you know big miraculous plan because um, we are also extremely short-sighted people and we also do not see God's miraculous um, big plan all weaving together but specifically for these guys you know for hundreds of years in a row some other big nation had come in and they'd taken over and it was nasty stuff. Like first the Assyrians came in and 10 out of the 12 tribes of Israel were kidnapped, um, sold off into slavery, never to be heard of, heard of again. Then later the Babylonians came in and they took over the southern portion of Israel that had remained. And they uh, destroyed the temple, the beautiful temple that Solomon had built. And then they forcibly resettled a large portion of the population then the Persians came in right after that, and they happened to allow a bunch of the people of Israel to return and rebuild their temple. But then after that, Alexander the Great showed up, and the Greeks came in, and they took over, and they became the new overlords. And then finally the Romans came. So every time this new nation would come in, there'd be all sorts of death and destruction because the Israelites didn't want that to happen. They didn't want another nation to take over. But these nations would come in and they would uh, kill a bunch of people, sell a bunch of people into slavery, they'd institute new taxes, uh, they'd, uh, they'd basically create these situations where people were extremely poor. And so over time, the Jewish people began to absolutely just hate Gentiles, which is a word for non-Jewish people. Because as they would walk around you know, their homeland, they would see all of these people that reminded them of hundreds of years of hurt, hundreds of years of just being subjected, you know, to heavy taxes and, and having, you know, towns just wiped off the map at a whim and just all sorts of trauma and hurt and pain. So Jesus is parading into Jerusalem, and, and this is the context. People are desperate for freedom. And this week that he is coming in happens to mark the beginning of Passover week. So Passover is the big Jewish holiday that celebrates when God freed the Israelites from captivity and oppression when, uh, when they were under the thumb of the Egyptians. has kind of somewhat like the origin of Israel as a nation in some respects, is that they used to be slaves, and then God rescued them and then gave them their own nation. So they had been celebrating this. And they basically had been believing for a new exodus, this new freedom from oppression to happen. They were in a very similar situation as they used to be thousands of years previous. So very much so in this in this whole narrative is this desperation for salvation, a desperation for freedom, a desperation for change, a desperation for a, for a new season, for things just things to be different. So Jesus walks through this town. Sorry, and he, sorry, he actually gets on a, a donkey, rides in on a donkey. There's this big parade. People are very excited. And then, right after he has this big parade, after they're all worshiping him and saying Hosanna, he heads straight to the temple. Not the palace, the temple. So, here's where we're going to pick up the story here in Mark 11. So, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Then I want to jump to Luke 19, uh, which tells the same story, but this is just kind of a, nice, a neat tag that's on the, the end of it that I like. So Luke 19, 47 through 48, it says, after that, it's after he chased them all out, he taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word he said. See, Jesus chases out all of these corrupt people that are, you know, kind of messing up the temple. And uh, John's account of this story actually says Jesus fashioned himself a whip. Makes himself a whip and he chases these people out. And then after he causes all this big disturbance and gets all the people mad at him for kicking them out, he sits down and he takes over and he starts to teach. So he takes over the temple for a full week before he... Uh, is later uh, led off to be crucified and killed. And these people who he kicked out, they wanted to kill Jesus because he basically took away their income. He, he completely um, subverted their power. <laughs> Jesus offended them, you know. So they, they wanted to kill him, but they couldn't touch him because the crowds that were coming into the temple were just so massive. People were just desperate to come around the Messiah and hear what he had to say. So here's some context of why was Jesus so upset? Why did he go to the temple? Why did he do that? So right at this time, it's Passover, and people from all over, Jewish people from all over, would would come to travel, and they would come all the way to Jerusalem so they could offer a sacrifice to God. Some of them would come, you know, from multiple nations away, long, long journeys. Now, they're supposed to offer a lamb as a sacrifice, but the problem is if you live months and months and months away on this massive journey, you can't bring a lamb with you because by the time you get to Jerusalem, that lamb is a ram. That lamb is full-grown. That's not going to work. So many people were forced into having to buy a lamb right there in person, right in Jerusalem. So there was crooked merchants back there, same thing as there is today. They took advantage of the situation. And so they would absolutely gouge these traveling Jews. So there's some historical evidence that we would have that the prices were absurdly high. We're not talking like a 7% inflation here. We're talking 99% inflation. It'd be like today if you were trying to buy a bottle of Coca-Cola and instead of paying $1, having to pay $100. That That is how much they had jacked up these prices. Secondly, they also had these currency exchangers there, these money changers. So all these people coming from all these other nations were coming with, you know, their currency. And then they wouldn't let them buy the lambs or whatever in their, their foreign currency. And they say, oh, no, you're going to have to convert it to what we have here. And, of course, that was not a fair deal. They would rip them off. So basically, what, what, what's going on here? These economic shenanigans are essentially are preventing people from being able to worship God. They're preventing people who can't afford this to, to be able to go into the temple and actually have a relationship with God and worship him. It's very, very dastardly what's going on. Furthermore, where this marketplace is set up is right in this area of the temple called the Court of the Gentiles. This is an area where, where the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, were supposed to be able to come and worship God. Now, this is actually a new area. The person that built this is actually King Herod, the same person that was, tried to kill baby Jesus when he was born. It's a pretty evil fellow. So when the Romans were coming in to take... Take over Israel. He basically volunteered and said, "Hey, I'll do a bunch of your hard work for you, Got an army raised, went in, killed a bunch of people, um, took killed all the priests in the temple and took over. And he ended up greatly expanding the temple, adding all these extra areas. So one of them was the court of the women. So no longer were women allowed to go in and worship at the temple like they normally had. He split them up and said, you can't go in with the men anymore. Then another temple just outside. And we'll go to the diagram I have here. Right outside of that is the court of the Gentiles, which is all the people that aren't Jewish. says, you're no longer allowed to go in and worship like everyone else. You're now outside as well. So pretty nasty stuff. And so this this court of the Gentiles, that was even Herod had said, well, okay, this is this is where the the non-Jewish people can worship. Well, the Jewish people at the time, they hated Gentiles so much, they just set up a marketplace in there, completely blocking any access for these Gentile people to worship God. If, If the Gentiles tried to get into any other area of the temple, they'd be killed. So again, people are blocking access to God. They are blocking the opportunity for people to be able to have an encounter with God, to worship Him, to get to know Him, to have a relationship with Him. And just imagine if you were just, if, just imagine if the foyer was filled with a bunch of cows and sheep and all sorts of animals and all sorts of people trying to you know, do money deals and haggling, just right outside, right over there. Imagine you trying to worship or you trying to pray when that's going on. And Jesus comes in, He chases all these people doing this stuff out of there. And then he says this, my temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, meaning that everybody is supposed to be welcome here. Everybody is supposed to have an opportunity to get to know God. None of this splitting people up depending on their race, their culture, whether they're male or female, whether they're rich or they're poor. The original design of the temple is that everyone is welcome. Everyone who wants a relationship with God, everyone who pursues God can meet him. So when Jesus is saying that you've turned this place into a den of robbers, a den of thieves, what's really being stolen? So it's not just the money. It's not just the money that's really going on. What's far, far worse is that they're stealing people's opportunity for a relationship with God. You know, for years, this this passage of scripture has been uh, terribly misinterpreted. So it happens when you do not read the historical context. And uh, you know, many years ago, probably before I was born, Say if there was like a traveling Christian van coming in. They wouldn't let them sell their t-shirts in the foyer because they like, oh, you can't, you can't make the church into a marketplace. And it's like, oh, they were just kind of mi- missing, missing the whole point of, the, of what was going on. It was all about disrupting people's worship, disrupting people's ability to connect with God. What was being stolen was this opportunity of a relationship with God. The Gentiles couldn't get in. The poor couldn't get in. And women didn't get to even have the opportunity that they should have. So there's this SOS call that was out there, this this desire for change, this desire. There's a desire in every person's heart, even today, to have an encounter with God, to have a relationship with him. So there was that desire that was out there. And in this story, Jesus is coming and making that possible. And this story, just a week before Easter, is foreshadowing what Jesus would do on the cross and what he would accomplish on the cross, answering the call of our our ultimate SOS, our ultimate call to be saved from our sins, for our souls to be saved, for us to be granted eternal life, for us to be able to be with God for forever. So we're going to look at kind of the two different ways that Jesus kind of answers the call, answers the the SOS call of humanity during this story and how it's foreshadowing of how uh, Jesus would do that a week later. Jesus' mission was always the same. So the first one here the first way that Jesus answered our call was the restoration of our broken relationship with God. So first things first, Jesus needed to fix why our relationship with God was broken in the first place. And that's because of sin. So you'll notice when Jesus comes into this temple, he is chasing out all kinds of sin. He's removing sin from the equation. He's removing the blockages that are in the way. He's removing what is stopping people from encountering God. He is, he's removing what is stopping people from having a relationship with him. A week later, when Jesus dies on the cross and he resurrects, there he defeats sin. And the wages of sin, which is death, he defeats sin and death once and for all. He removed the blockage of sin that was preventing us from having a relationship with God and granted us the ability to have a restored relationship with God to the point that we get to live with God for forever. I'm gonna read here from Romans 5. Kind of give some theology about this. It says, when we were utterly helpless, when we had an SOS call up, Jesus came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners and since he has been made right in god's sight by the, and since we have been made right in god's sight by the blood of christ he will certainly save us from god's condemnation for since our friendship with god was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies we will certainly be saved through the life of his son so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with god because our lord jesus christ has made us friends of god so again, there's a lot of foreshadowing. There's constant foreshadowing in Scripture all pointing to Jesus' death and resurrection. So even just a week before, it's still foreshadowing. So just as Jesus is granting access to the temple, granting access to relationship with God. That is what he's ultimately doing on the cross for everybody. We didn't have access before. We were blocked. But Jesus made a way where there seemed to be no way. Interesting that when Jesus dies... The curtain that's in the temple, the curtain that was kind of stopping people from getting into the holiest of holies, the most holy place where God's presence was supposed to dwell. That's a 60-foot tall curtain that's four inches thick, and when Jesus died, it was ripped in half, tore all the way from the top to the bottom, showing that everybody is supposed to have access to God if they want it. See, this is a very super important aspect of Jesus' ministry. Everybody should have access to God if they want it. Every human soul is craving access to God. Every human soul is craving a relationship with God, whether they realize it or not. Many people are looking for God in all the wrong places. There's really only one way to God, and it's through Jesus. So this is a call of humanity, something that's deep in our souls, that we desperately crave and desperately want, that connection with God, and Jesus answered that call. This aspect of Jesus' ministry, that this was for everybody. This is very, very important, and it's something that he would preach continually. Pretty well one of the most famous verses in the Bible is for God so loved the world that he gave his, his only son that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him. It's very, very important, whosoever. If you come to Jesus, you can have eternal life. God wants every tribe, every tongue, every culture to come to him to be able to worship his holy name, to be able to have a relationship with him. I think something that's so beautiful about our church is that we reflect that. We reflect God's heart for the kingdom. We have people from all over the world in this church. That is God's heart. He wants every tribe, every tongue, every nation to have an opportunity for a relationship with him. Secondly, the other problem that humanity has is we're often at odds with each other. So this other SOS call that we're put up is that all of that would be resolved. So the other way Jesus answered the call is the restoration of broken relationships with each other. Going back to that narrative of the temple cleansing, notice all the broken relationships on display. There were literal divisions built, literal barricades in between men and women, Jews and Gentiles, even the rich and the poor. And Jesus arrived on the scene and he made it a place for everybody. He brought everybody together. People from all walks of life, male and female, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, were gathering together under the leadership of Jesus. And this would have been a sight to behold because basically in history, this had never happened before, that everyone from all walks of life could come together and be equals. Never had happened before. Only Jesus can make this happen. And again, this is foreshadowing what Jesus would do a week later on the cross, Jesus will restore not only our ability to connect vertically, connect with, with God and have a proper relationship with him, but also connect horizontally to be able to have a proper relationship with others as well. Back to Romans again, so Romans 15 here. It says, may God who gives, this patience, who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given the glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came that Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. And over to Galatians. It's probably one of the most radical things ever written in history right here. Galatians three twenty six through 28. It says... For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile slave or free male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, the identity that that Christ brings, it's like a trump card that's played over every other identity the world can give you. Our identity in Christ supersedes every other identity that's out there. And so when we all have that same identity in Christ, we can have an incredible unity. Here's something that's missed, I would say, a lot in today's culture. There's really no reconciliation between humanity unless it's through Christ Jesus. Very common today to talk about different types of reconciliation, you know, whether it's between women and men, or rich and poor, or various races and cultures. But here's the thing, we do not actually possess the power to do this on our own. This is a massive problem. Just think of all the issues there is in between men and women, the rich and the poor, or various cultures, or various races. There is no way of overcoming this. No way of overcoming all those problems naturally. It can only be done through the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. The same way as we can't restore a relationship with God on our own, we need Jesus to do it for us. We can't restore a relationship with everybody else on our own either. We need Jesus. We can't bring reconciliation to humanity and between humanity without Jesus. And you can't truly have reconciliation between humans unless we are first reconciled with God. Because God needs to deal with our sinful nature. That's the root problem. He needs to deal with that and give us a new nature a new way of living, and that gives us the ability to not only reconcile with him, but to reconcile with one another, to be in proper relationship. So without Jesus, we are up the creek without a paddle. We can't do it. But Jesus answered this call. He answered this call, this desire and this need for reconciliation, this desire to bring people together. Deep down, people know it's not right to be separated in the ways that we are to be at odds with each other the ways we are, to be at war with each other the ways that we are. Jesus came to make a way where there seems to be no way. He came to reconcile us with each other by giving us his, his identity as a son, as a child of God. So in conclusion this morning, you might be estranged from God. You might not even have that relationship with him whatsoever. Or maybe you find yourself estranged with others. You're not in proper relationship with other people. Well, today, God has answered your call. God has come to solve that problem. See, the King of kings and the, Lord is, and the Lord of lords has passionately chased out the root of your problems. And he can grant you the ability to experience reconciliation with God and with others if you take his free deal. If you want to have this relationship with God today, if you want to be reconciled to God, we would gladly pray with you after the service and lead you in making the best decision that you'll ever make. And if you're in a situation where you need reconciliation with other, other human beings for whatever reason, you need, you need something healed horizontally, we'd love to pray for you as well. But for everyone in this room, here's the big takeaway. Here's the big takeaway this Palm Sunday. As we, as we read the story of Jesus' triumphant entry and his passion as he went into the temple and he made a way for people. As he, as he went in there and he tore down barriers, he restored our relationship with God, he restored our relationship with each other. As we remember that, we also need to remember this, that when Jesus returned to heaven, he passed that mission on to us. That same message and that same mission of reconciliation he has given to us. We are supposed to emulate Jesus in his passion, his passion of making a way where there seems to be no way, his passion in chasing after people, his passion In tearing down barriers, his passion in seeing people's relationship with God and with others restored. Second Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says this. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So here we have this week of Easter, this week of celebrating the most important weekend in human history. The weekend where Jesus made a way where there seems to be no way. The weekend where Jesus restored our relationship with God. The weekend where Jesus restored our ability to have a proper relationship with each other. So the question is, Will you passionately pursue people like Jesus did? Will you strive to tear down whatever obstacle gets in the way from people having a relationship with God? Will you extend an invitation to them, telling people that God wants to reconcile with them? God wants to be their Lord. God wants to be their Savior. Will you tell people that his invitation is open to anyone, anyone that would repent, anyone that would turn to God? So this week I implore you before Easter, Easter to really live out this ministry of reconciliation. To remind yourself that there is a seat at the table for your neighbors, there's a seat at the table for your family members, there's a seat at the table for your coworkers. Jesus is calling them home and he's making his appeal through you. He is making his appeal of come back to God through you. So I implore you, especially this week of all weeks, live out this ministry. There are people that have put out an SOS call that are desperate whether they realize it or not, they have that relationship with God restored. They are desperate to, to walk in true unity and peace with other people. And only Jesus can make that happen. So this week, invite people to church. Invite them to have this opportunity to get to know God. I think this Palm Sunday is just such a, it's a beautiful, important Sunday historically. It's a Sunday of change. It's a changing of the season. Some of you have maybe been believing for people that you know to come to Christ for years and years and years. This week might be that week. This week might be the week where everything changes for them. This week might be the way where they get to experience Jesus. And so have the faith and have the boldness to just say, will you come to church with me next week? Would you come for Easter service? And tonight, as we have this time of worship I don't know what you're going through, I don't know what you're contending for. But if you're in a situation, if you're in a season where you want to see the death of what needs to die and you want to see the life of what needs to live, if you're in a season where you want to see a changing, you want to see Jesus make a way where there seems to be no way, I just feel tonight is important for that. It's we want to emulate these people in Jerusalem that they were that at that point in time they hadn't seen the romans overthrown they hadn't seen their sins forgiven but they just began to praise in advance just as jesus was beginning his entry just as jesus was beginning kind of the, the final portion of his mission and they just began to praise his name and worship him and i feel like that's what we're supposed to do tonight this is a changing of the season and praising God for the changing of that. We're, gonna, we're giving our issues to him. We're giving our problems to him. And we're declaring that he's, he's our salvation. He's the hero that we're waiting for. So I just feel that that's important tonight. So it's at 7 o'clock tonight here in the sanctuary. We're just going to end in prayer. And then I'll dismiss everybody. And if you want prayer, uh, whether you want your relationship with God restored or renewed. Or if you want to meet God for the first time, we'd love to pray for you. Or if you want prayer for really any other issue, love to pray for you. We believe in the power of prayer. So anyways, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and we're just going to end in kind of a a group prayer here this morning before we dismiss. God, we just want to thank you for this Palm Sunday. We want to thank you that you came in triumphantly. You are God of triumph. That we're on the winning team. And God, as we are literally a church filled with Gentiles, we are a church filled with people that aren't Jewish, God, we thank you that you made a way for us. You made a way for us to be a part of your family. You made a way for us to be saved. You made a way for us to live eternally with you. And God, we thank you that you are our Lord and and our Savior. God, we come under your authority. We are who you say we are. And God, we thank you that you are our Savior. that you were unwilling, that anyone would perish, but you wanted everybody here to have eternal life. So God, in this moment, if there's people here that don't have that access to eternal life yet, they don't have that relationship with Jesus, I pray, God, you just begin to minister to their heart and say, today's the day. Today's the day that heaven gets to rejoice over this decision that you've made to follow Jesus. God, and if there's other things that are askew here this morning, if, there, if, if there's relationships that mean, need mending, if there's forgiveness that needs to happen, if there's humility that needs to happen, if there's repentance that needs to happen, God, I pray you'd even put your, your finger on that as well. You would just touch our, our souls and, and just begin to minister in those areas as well. And God, I pray a passion would just arrive and arise within this church, a passion to see souls saved, God, as we think of how you so brilliantly modeled the passion of bringing people to you, the passion of making a way, the passion of extending an invitation to an encounter with God, may we have that same passion, God. May we be bold in our invitations, bold in our love. And God, I pray that even this next week, we're just gonna have a phenomenal service of just all sorts of people coming to you for the first time. I pray you're gonna be with everyone here as we leave from this service. You're gonna be that reminder day after day that they are called to be ministers of reconciliation, called to be vessels of God, called to be people who God is making his appeal through, that appeal that says, come back to God. May those words just echo in their souls throughout this week. Come back to God. Come back to God. And may it just flow right out of their lips to the ears of their coworkers, to the ears of their friends, to the ears of their family, to the ears of their neighbors. In your name we pray. Amen.